So um, normally when we have a, a giving talk on a Sunday and a pastor's up front, they'll start out with all these sort of apologies, right? You know, I'm so sorry we have to talk about this money stuff in church. I, 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 have, I, have, uh, I have repented of that behavior, and I'm not going to apologize for talking about money today for a couple of reasons. Number one is because Scripture and Jesus never apologized for talking about money. Uh, Jesus talks about money a lot. People around Jesus talk about money a lot. Money is an important thing because it's this tangible thing that gives us an indication of where our heart and our soul and our attention sort of lies. Uh, the other reason is, you know, a lot of times we'll sort of make jokes and about first-time visitors. You know, we got some first-time visitors I got to meet before worship, and the whole time I'm shaking their hand going, oh, man, I hope that you know what you're in for today. Um, can't wait to get a commitment card from you. I uh, hope you love this worship service. But uh, I don't apologize to the first-time visitors, too, because I think that churches that don't talk about money are leaving out a huge part of the gospel. I think that churches that don't talk about money uh, don't talk about vision. They don't talk about why it's important to rally around a mission and a vision at a church like this one at Lover. Lane, so no apologies from me this morning, not even to you streamers, don't close the tab, don't go on to a different website. Um, we're going to talk today starting out in the Old Testament, Old Testament fans in the room, woohoo, yeah, Old Testament, we're going to start out there talking about money, in the book of Malachi, it's like as close to the New Testament as you can get with still being in the Old Testament, it's like right behind Matthew, so if you have your Bibles with you, go and open up, it is the last book in the Old Testament, it's really short, it's probably like two pages in your Bible, um, we're going to start in Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 this morning. You'll see it on your screens. This is the prophet speaking to the people of Israel, specifically to the priests. So he's talking to me. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you, God? So the prophet's talking on God's behalf. How are we robbing you, God? prophet responds in your tithes and your offerings you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me the whole nation of you now this sounds like some good old testament doesn't it bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test says the lord of hosts see if i will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing Whew. okay Y'all are like, buckle up, here we go. Will you rob God? We're going to talk about this scripture. This, this scripture is, is thick, it's dense. Uh, there's three things I want to lift out of it this morning. We're going to peruse some of the New Testament throughout the morning as well. Um, but what I want to talk about this morning is, is this issue of generosity and this issue of what we do with our money. Now, see, I just said our money. We're going to talk about that. Because, see, here's the problem I see with generosity. I think generosity is this, is this idea that says, I've got this stuff. I've got all this stuff, and I want to feel good about helping other people, so I'm going to be generous and give up some of my stuff. See, aren't I a good person for being so generous and parting with my stuff that belongs to me and giving it to somebody else who it doesn't belong to? Man, I'm such a generous person, right? And we uplift generosity, and we should. Like, generosity, I'm not trying to make you sound like a jerk. Like, generosity is a good thing. It's a good thing to have a, a heart for the poor, a heart for people in need, and to want to give up your stuff. But I want to talk about that word, your, that I keep saying, or mine, right? That, that's the issue in the statement I want to talk about today, this issue of my stuff, or your stuff, or our stuff. I think mean, that's the problem for me with this idea of generosity, because generosity basically means I've got something that somebody else needs, and I'm going to be nice and give it up. And I think if we take Scripture seriously, and if we take Jesus seriously, and if we take God seriously, then what we're going to have to do is shift in our thinking, not just from being selfish to generous, 
but we're going to have to shift the way that we think about the stuff in the first place. So this whole series is all about growing in relationship with Jesus. I think part of growing in relationship with Jesus is changing our relationship with the stuff in our lives. Because we don't change our relationship with the stuff, then there's not really room to grow in our relationship with Christ because the stuff is still there. So let's break this up this morning. First things first, let's talk about this robbing God stuff. Robbing God. Will you rob God? How are we robbing you? This is how you're robbing me. So he's talking about robbing God. This prophet is speaking on God's behalf saying, will you rob me? People listening, what are you talking about? We're not robbing you. How are we robbing you? Well, you're withholding your tithes and offerings. Let's talk about that for a second. How many of us struggle with control? Anybody? Any control freaks in the room? Come on. Streamers, raise your hand at your home. You're alone. It's fine. No one can see you. Yeah. Who struggles with control? I do. Who is a terrible passenger in a car? Anybody? I am so bad. Reagan, how bad am I? She's pointing at me, if you can't tell. I'm the worst passenger in the car. I'm the one that like wants to reach over and grab the wheel. You're doing it wrong, you know. How many of us have to have the remote in our hands at the house? Yeah? My daughter, like she is struggling with control right now. She's she's 20 months old. I was talking to somebody before about this. She's, I mean, she, I've mentioned this before. She's like fully growing into that toddler thing. And right now the big issue is control. She wants control. And when she is tired of dad out watching whatever he's watching, she walks over to the AV unit and just hits the power off button and just looks at me. And I'm like, I'll say, don't you touch it. You know, and she's looking, she's like, I know what you're saying. Don't touch it. Uh-huh. Boom. And you're just like, oh, it's a good thing you're cute. It's a really good thing you're cute. I think sometimes we take this even deeper and we want to control each other, right? Sometimes in our relationships, we want to control each other. This can get really, really ugly, actually. Control is funny, but it's also not this issue of wanting ownership over things and over people, like this is a huge issue for a lot of us in our hearts. We want control, not just over ourselves, we want control over the stuff and the people around us. That can get really ugly really fast, yeah? So when, when I hear the prophet talking about robbing God, and I hear about the tithes and offerings being withheld, I, I think the tithes and offerings are a surface level issue. And I think there's a deeper issue at work here. Because I think there's, there's a problem when we begin to want to assume control over the stuff and the people and the world around us. Because there's only one person who's supposed to be the owner of that kind of stuff, yeah? There's one person who's supposed to be the owner of this world and everything within it. That person is who? Come on. Easy question. There we go. God, yes, thank you. Like, when I was a kid's pastor, my first graders got that one, guys. Come on. So, stay with me. Stay with me. We're like five minutes in. Let's go. Um... So when we try to assume that mantle of ownership, that, that's going to get us into trouble. The, I mean, Scripture makes abundantly clear that we are not in charge, that we might have ability, we might have free will, we might have the ability to do things, but we're supposed to submit that back to God, that we're supposed to learn how to be in a relationship where God is the owner, God is the master, God is the king, and we are the steward and the servant, and we are the helper, right? When God creates Adam... He puts him over, you know, he puts him in dominion over creation, but, but his role is really to steward that creation. He doesn't get to control the world. It's not like Adam had, like, weather control abilities. I'm Zeus, here comes lightning. You know, that doesn't work like that. His job was to name the animals and to care for the earth and to care for the garden. It was a steward kind of role, and we begin to think that what we really want to be is the owner of the space. Jesus talks about this a lot. Parables, yeah? Jesus talks in parables a lot. It's these stories where he's talking about one thing, but he's really talking about another thing. He confuses the disciples all day long. 
There's about 30 parables in the Gospels. 11 of them, 11 of them have God in the position of the owner or the master or the king and us in the position of the steward or the servant or the helper. Zero of them have us in the position of the owner or the king or the Lord, right? Zero. Zero parables put us in charge. Jesus does not want us to ever think that that position is ours for the taking. Jesus says 11 times, God's in charge, God's the king, God's the banquet host, God's the owner of the vineyard, God's the Lord. Zero times are we ever in that position. And so when we talk about robbing God and withholding tithes, I think the deeper issue is not about tithes and offerings. The money is the stuff, it's the symptom. The deeper issue is we want to rob God of his title. We're not happy being stewards. We're not happy being servants. We're not happy being helpers. We want to be owner. We want to be king. We want to be Lord. And so we want to rob God of that title and say, this is my stuff. And now that it's mine, I'm in charge. Well, guess where it's staying, right? Because once you own something, the last thing you want to do is then give that up. That's just natural human response. This is mine now. I'm going to keep it. It's mine. Well, it's never yours to begin with. This life that we've been given, literally, the life that we've been given is something that God has handed to us for us to steward, not to own. That's a big shift to make in our thinking, that your life is not your own. Your life is something you steward, not something you own. That's going to change the way that you wake up in the morning. It's going to change the way that you interact with people throughout your day. It's going to change the way that you parent. Your kids are not yours to own. Your kids are yours to steward. Yeah? Parents? Amen? Some of us need to hear that. You want to know why divorce rates are so high amongst empty nesters? It's because we thought our whole lives were about owning our kids. And once they're gone, what do we have? This is a big issue. This issue of being in charge and being in control. We've got to give this up. This has got to end up on the altar if we want to go deeper in a relationship with Christ. He makes this clear in parables. We make it clear in the Old Testament. We are not the owner. We are the steward. Our lives are not our own. Our stuff is not our own, our stuff, everything about us belongs to God, and it's our job to return it back to God when the kingdom needs it. So that's how you're robbing God. We're robbing God because we say, no, this is mine, and, and God's saying, the kingdom needs this stuff, and you're going, no, it's mine. He's going, what do you mean it's yours? None of this is yours. What do you, what do you think you are? What position do you think you hold? Do you want to be Lord? Do you want to be king? Who wants to be master of the universe? No, I don't want that. I want to be master of my remote control, sure. I want to drive the car. You start giving me more responsibility than that? Oh my gosh, absolutely not. So that's the first way, that's the, I mean, that's the way that we rob God is we, we, we want to take the title of owner, of Lord, of King away from God. So the first shift we've got to make is going from an owner to becoming a steward. If you're ready to be a steward in your life as opposed to an owner, say amen. You don't really mean that, by the way. Yet. We're going to have to work on this stuff, right? We aspire to that. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm a steward now. I get it. I figured it out. I can move on now. No, like this takes work. I'm not there. Let's keep moving. So he says, you've robbed God. Then he goes into this thing, because you've robbed God, there's a curse upon your nation. Well, okay, we'll talk about that in just a second. But then he says, if you want things to get better, you need to bring a full tithe into the storehouse. A full tithe. Let's talk about that phrase, a full tithe, for a second. So the Old Testament is full of these things called laws, right? There's, there's this concept called the law in the Old Testament. And if you're unfamiliar, I want to assume that you're walking in for the very first time this morning. So 
the Old Testament has this thing called the law, and it's two things at once. On one hand, it's this symbolic thing. It's this covenant that we have with God. It's this thing that if we abide by it, it leads us to more life, and if we leave it, then it leads us to more death. But then outside the symbolic, it's this very tangible thing. It's you know, over 600 rules. It's this list of rules that some of them are just important for a society to function. Like they're kind of laws that you would see in any society back in those days. And then a lot of them are more specific to the Jewish people. It's where we get the dietary laws. It's the laws around what do they do on certain high holy days and how do they conduct themselves? What do they wear? How do they groom? It's, you know, it's all that stuff comes from is these laws. Well, one of the laws, or actually many of the laws, had to do with the tithe. And the tithe, this word tithe comes from the word tenth, and it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. When this was being established, God said to the people of Israel, everybody in the community needs to give up a tenth, one ten, you know, a 10% of, of whatever they have needs to go to the temple, to the priests. And then the priests are going to give up even a tenth of what they receive. And so everybody's giving a tenth. It's this huge communal effort to support one another. And then all that gets collected up, and it's an offering to God. And some of that gets spread back out for the community, and it goes to those who are poor. It's this way that, that at one side it's this sort of symbolic worship thing and at the same time it's also like this way of society taking care of itself this is the importance of the tithe and so uh, here in Malachi it talks about bringing a full tithe so in one sense you could say well he's talking about we need to bring a 10 percent tenth of our stuff needs to go to the temple if we don't do that then God's going to curse us okay yeah, like we were almost there we got really close I know you're thinking great that's it Scott you can stop preaching 10 percent got it done no no wait <laughs> wait so then Jesus comes. Ah, oh, Jesus. You know, he, Jesus always screws everything up. You know, we had all these nice rules, Jesus. We had everything spelled out very clearly. 10%, I could get out my calculator and do the math, and, there, and Jesus says, throw the calculator out the window. Let's talk about the tithe. Jesus talks about giving. He never talks about 10%. When Jesus talks about giving, he always talks about it in terms of sacrifice. You know, there's this one image where he points to a woman who's giving her last two pennies, and he points to a Pharisee, this guy with tons of wealth, and he's giving, you know, thousand bucks, you know, big, big gift, but it's a fraction of what he has. And he says, who do you think's giving more? The lady with two pennies. You know, so Jesus, when he's talking about generosity, it's not about the amount, it's about the sacrifice. He takes this sort of practical law, this, 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 this rigid law, and tries to get back to the symbolic effort behind it. He tries to take it from this headspace of like, okay, if I carry the one and divide by ten, and da, 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 da. And he tries to move it into this heart space, this soul space of what does it mean for me to sacrifice of myself and to say my life is not my own? What does it mean for me to adopt this attitude and this posture in my life? And it wasn't just Jesus. The, you know, there's this guy that talks before Jesus. His name's John the Baptist. Guess what he did? Baptized people. That was an easy one. Um, again, come on, guys. Keep up. So John the Baptist comes out. He's this, he's this guy that comes out before Jesus, and he's supposed to sort of announce the arrival of Jesus. And, and, and so he's talking to these people in Luke. In Luke chapter 3, he's talking to this crowd that's gathered, and he's saying, you know, I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness. You know, here comes the big kahuna. I don't know. I, I'm paraphrasing. And so um, he didn't say big kahuna. Maybe in like the Hawaiian translation, he says big kahuna. That'd be cool if he did. Um, I'd be down with that. So in, in Luke 3, he's talking to this group, and, uh, and so he's sort of speaking in this sort of heady kind of space about this guy who's coming in. The people standing there, they're, they're kind of like you and me. They're kind of like, that's all great, but like, what do I do, right? Let's make this real, make this tangible. What, what do we do to get ready for this guy coming, right? What do we do to get ready for this Savior? 
The crowd asked him, what then should we do? And in reply, John the Baptist says to them, listen, wait, he talks about money. Isn't that weird? Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers asked him, and what, and yeah, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. That's what he tells them to do. Jesus just picks up where he leaves off. When Jesus teaches on giving, he talks about two pennies. He tells a young rich ruler to give up everything he has if he wants to be a disciple. I mean, Jesus picks up with this conversation around stuff and resources and wealth. But what I hear John saying And what I hear Jesus saying is he takes this rigid law, this 10% idea, and he makes it really simple. He says, yeah, you got two coats? Who here has two coats? Just if in your house, who's got two coats? Anybody? Do you? Yeah? No? Raise your hand. Come on, it's okay. Good. Like everybody, even in Texas, we have two coats, you know. We're one each year, you know, you get one on one day, one on the next day. Um, Do you see somebody who needs a coat? Give them the coat pretty simple. But wait, what, when, when do I do the math? Stop. <laughs> do you have two coats? Does someone else need a coat? Give them the coat. Jesus says, do you see someone in need? Can you live with a little bit less? Give it up. Thrive. Think about your life. Is there somebody you can think of right now who's in need? Can you live with a little bit less? Give it up. It's radical. It's simple. That was snot. Cool. (laughs) Got so serious there for a second that I just made a fool of myself. I mean, if 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 there's one thing about Jesus that I love is that even though sometimes he can be so convoluted, sometimes it's so simple. Do you see a need? Can you live with a little bit less? Give it up. No math. No calculator. Don't, it's not pre or post taxes. I know how you're thinking, North Dallas. I know. <laughs> You'd be amazed the question. It's not like, so Scott, like how, how long should I pray before? It's, Scott, is it pre or post taxes? Like, how does that work? Do, I, do the deductibles count towards the top? Like, how do, you know what? Oh, my gosh. You think Jesus gave a flip about deductibles? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Do you see a need? Can you live with a little bit less? Give it up. But like that's, that's healing. Have you ever given up something? Have you ever said, you know what? I don't need this. This isn't mine to own. This, I've got two coats. This person needs one. I'm going to share my coat. Have you ever done that and then felt like, well, that was a mistake? <laughs> like really? Like if you have, like come find me after the worship service. I would love to know that I'm wrong because I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think anyone has ever given up one of their two coats and gone like, shouldn't have done that. Gah. Now that guy's all warm and stuff. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's so simple, but it, it's so beautiful because to me, it, it, it takes the thinking, and not in no bad way, it takes like the, the, the worry and the fear and the thinking out of the issue of generosity or giving or returning or whatever we want to call it. It makes it real simple for me. Every year I look at my life and I go, what can I do without? Can I live with a little bit less? Can I address a little bit more need? Can I give it up? I hope that we can do that this week. 
Here's the beauty of, of Jesus' approach to giving, too, is that it's, it's a great equalizer in a church. It's a great equalizer in a church because normally in a church or in, 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 in an organization, you would look around and you'd go, well, who's giving the most? You know, that's the most important gift. You know, how many zeros are after that gift? That's the, that's the one that God really cares about, right? If this was a business, you'd look at who's our biggest client, right? Who's, who's given us the most revenue? That's who we need to spend the most time with. And Jesus just like shoots that straight to heck, man. That has no place in the kingdom of God, and that has no place in God's church. The Jesus way of, of generosity is a great equalizer because it says, guess what? If this person is giving their two coins and this person is giving $2 million, whatever, I don't care how ludicrous the number is. Jesus looks at them and says, they saw a need, they could live with less, and they gave it up. Good, perfect, great. It's beautiful. You know what the other great part about that is that nobody is more responsible for the building of God's kingdom. I don't care how much you gave last year. I really don't. I really don't. God's kingdom is built by everybody being present at the same time. The whole point of the tithe was to take care of each other. The whole point of the tithe was to create this sort of sense of community. And somehow we got into this place as an organization where we started to think that there were some gifts that mattered more than others. We started to think that the number of zeros meant that God's kingdom was getting built more and more and more. Guess what? That's not how it works in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is going to get built with or without the extra zero, okay? That doesn't mean that you leave it off. That doesn't mean that you give less. But if you begin to give out of a position of pride, look at what I'm doing for God's kingdom. It's the God of the universe. What do you mean, what are you doing? You think God cares about how many zeros? Oh, geez, well, now that they gave the extra zero, I guess Jesus can come back. Look at that. That sure is. I was just waiting for it. I was just waiting for it. No. We don't give because of personal pride. We don't, we don't give because we want to feel good or because we want to feel like we're doing more than everybody else. We want our name on some building. Or we want people to applaud for us. When we, when we approach giving that kind of way, when we approach giving about how, how am I going to feel about this, how is this going to make me feel, we're trying to take the glory back from God. We're back to robbing again. If you're giving because you want to feel generous, like that's okay. I'm not going to discourage that. Give your money. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, give your money. But if you're giving simply because you want to feel generous, then you're still stuck. You're stuck in that position of wanting to glorify yourself. I, that's a, that may be a harsh thing to say, but it's the real truth. And I was in that position, and I'm in that position all the time. You know, when I'm at, going through the checkout, and they're like, do you want to donate a dollar to whatever, you know, to American Heart Association? I'm like, yeah, fixed that problem. You know, yeah, I feel good. But that's, oh, that, do you see how we're stuck when we stay there? Because we're still making it about ourselves. We're making it about how we feel. We're making it about ourselves. If we shift our thinking and we're able to think of this not in terms of what am I doing to make myself feel better, but rather what can I do because God's inspiring me to do this, then that attention gets put back on God and our relationship gets more and more right. So the question becomes, what's a full tithe, right? That's, my accountants in the room are like, Scott, you still haven't told me. What's a full tithe? Is it 10%? Just tell me it's 10%. Pre or post taxes, please, just tell me. I don't know what a full tithe is. I don't. I don't know what your full tithe is. I do know this. If you feel like if you don't give enough, God's going to curse you, that's bad theology. Just, we'll talk. Come talk to me. If you're worried that God's cursing you because you didn't give enough last year, talk to me. It's not true. If that gives you enough peace right there, you can walk out and be fine, great. If it doesn't, let's grab coffee. You're not under a curse, okay? No curses, Okay. I don't know what a full tithe is for you, though. I don't. What I do know is this, is that 
when I've adopted a position of prayer in my life and I've asked God, what is it that you want me to give? How, how much less can I live with this year? And I talk to Reagan and we talk to God and we spend time in prayer and we arrive at an amount. All of a sudden, we're accompanied by this feeling of peace that says, this feels right. I've been in those positions before where I was wanting to write down a smaller number and I felt agitated. Something wasn't right. Something, something was messing with me. I didn't, I didn't feel right. I felt like something was wrong. Something was off. And I think that's the Holy Spirit saying, mm, is, that, is that a full tithe? There have been seasons in my life when a full tithe, full tithe was 500 bucks a year. Because I was a young adult living paycheck to paycheck, and good God, young adults in the room say amen, 500 bucks is a full tithe sometimes. But then there have been seasons in my life like last year when Reagan and I looked at each other and we were like, you know what, we haven't been given a full tithe. And so we had to up it substantially. Ugh. Wrote down those, I was like, that's too many digits. I liked it better when there were less digits. But there was also peace. All of a sudden, that worry and that fear wasn't there. I wasn't agitated. I wasn't stressed. I felt right. I had two coats. I gave one up. I felt right. So my encouragement to you this week is, is don't go home and sit down with a calculator. I know. I, I'm Mr. Pragmatist up here. Reagan can tell you. I'm Mr. Pragmatist. I want the calculator. Don't sit down with your CPA and work this out. Okay, your CPA is not going to tell you what a full tithe is. Calculator is not going to tell you what a full tithe is. I'm not going to tell you what a full tithe is. Go home, spend some time in prayer, consult with God, and when you arrive at that number and you feel that sense of peace, boom, full tithe. Curse lifted, blessings coming down. Right? When, when I hear the curses and blessings, what I hear is a peace that comes over me that says, you know what, this feels right. And I'm not worried. I'm not agitated. I know I'm given a full tithe. A full tithe is accompanied by a full peace in the Spirit. All right, last act this morning. And we kind of meandered our way a little bit. At the end, it talks about testing God, right? What does he say? He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus, put me to the test, right? Put me to the test. Sometimes I hear that and I feel like God's kind of like my dad when he was like, try me. Right? Did you ever get the try? It's like Andy touching the AV. Try me, Andy. She's like, eh, boom. What are you going to do? I'm cute. Right? Put God to the test. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're supposed to like give our money and then like be like, all right, God, what are you going to do with it? You know, what are you going to do now, God? I don't think so. I think when I hear this, what I, I put myself back in the position of the Israelites. The Israelites were a people who had this vision from God, that they were supposed to have a nation and they were supposed to have protection. You know, they, they were enslaved and they were embattled and they were exiled numerous times. I mean, they had this vision from God of this promised land, this, this sacred place that they would call their own. And so the prophets were constantly calling them back about how to get back to that vision, when I hear about testing God, I think it all has to do with vision. Let's talk about vision for a second. Because a vision is different than a forecast. Sometimes I think we think visions and forecasts are the same thing. Here's a forecast. Forecast is you turn on the news, 
And the guy on the news says, tomorrow it's going to be a high of 72. And we're like, yes, finally, it feels like fall. Like, who woke up this morning and was like, I'm going to church. <laughs> going to praise God for this cooler weather, you know. Um, or for me, it's my dog, Annie. i got a dog, Annie. My daughter's name is Andy. Her parents are dumb. Um, <laughs> got this dog, Annie. And Annie is sweet, 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 unless the pressure changes. Anybody else's dogs do this? They freak out, right? I'm like, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? <laughs> I just did that whole thing for that bit right there. That's all that was for. I just thought that was clever on Tuesday. I was like, I'm going to shoehorn that into my sermon. For sure. For sure. Um, so Annie freaks out. Like, Annie can tell me immediately when the forecast is, is shifting. I'm like, oh, uh, here comes the cold front, you know, in about two hours, because Annie feels it right now. That's a forecast. A forecast tells you what's coming. It's going to happen. There's nothing. I can't stand outside and be like, go away, storm. You know, I, I can't do that. It doesn't work like that. Forecasts tell you what's going to happen no matter what you do. It's just going to happen. A vision is an idea that God gives us that is worth working towards, right? A vision doesn't just happen, Right? Promised land doesn't just happen, right? The kingdom of Israel doesn't just happen. Visions for our lives don't just happen. Visions for our kids don't just happen. Visions for our church don't just happen. They take work, right? Parents, you got to work for the vision of your kids? Yeah? How many parents are working every single day of their lives out there? Young adults starting out their careers, you got a vision for your life? How many of you are working every single day out there? Vision takes work. And so when I hear it saying, let's put God to the test, what I, what I hear that saying is, if we bring our full tithe, if we bring our full selves, if we submit ourselves under the ownership of God, if we shift our thinking from owners to stewards, if we begin to see our lives as something at God's disposal, if we put all of it on the line for God, if we go to God first and say, what do you need from me? How many coats can I give up this year? How little can I live with? How much need can I address with your help? If we put all that on the line for God, then this vision that we receive of a new Jerusalem, this vision we receive of the kingdom of God, this vision we receive of bridges being built, of people holding hands and singing kumbaya, these visions we receive are going to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. They don't just happen, right? If Jesus was just going to come back because it's just going to happen, y'all, he should have come back 2,000 years ago. What am I doing here, right? God doesn't need, he doesn't, he, if he was just going to do it, don't you think he would have just done it? But I'd have been bored if I was God. Like, these guys are idiots. I'm just going to get this done. No, it takes work. In the Methodist church, we believe it takes work. God's given us a vision, this direction we're going, but it takes work. And we're going to have to work, and we're going to have to work, and we're going to have to work to get there. But here is the good news. Do you want some good news to end the Sunday? On Scott's meandering, snot-filled, Michael Jackson lyric joke Sunday about giving, of all things. Okay. The good news is that we get harvest times periodically we get little windows and visions of the vision we get to see the vision realized for a moment right galatians paul's letter to the galatians he says if we keep working we'll reap at harvest time and i think that's why as a church every season when we come around to this fall season this sort of season of harvest we look back and we and we look at what god has reaped in the last year about how the vision has become a little bit more real in the last year because i don't know about you but i'm here because i believe in the vision of this church I was a member of this church before I was a pastor at this church. I believe in what this church is trying to say. Greg is going to say more about that in just a second. But we have a vision at Lover's Lane. We all share in that vision at Lover's Lane. It's why we're here on Sunday morning. It's why we're going to commit ourselves for 2018. 
But it's important for us to look back and to be able to see, here's what God has reaped this harvest time. So to close the sermon today, I want us to look back at 2017. I want us to look at some of what God has done through us, through your gifts, through your work, through our blood, sweat, and tears, because our work is not in vain. What we're doing is we're bringing about a vision that we believe in. We're putting God to the test, not in a, oh, what are you going to do now, God, but as in, God, what can we do together? If we really put ourselves out there, what can we do together? So let's take a look back at 2017 and see what God's been able to do through this church and through y'all. More than 150 kids served each Sunday morning in Sunday school. Approximately 340 hours have been given to serve children with special needs through Austin's Army. 10,200 meals fed to homeless people. 37 international missioners of all ages. 113,636 meals through Feed My Starving Children, 44 weddings, 68 people baptized, 3,700 people per month participate in 12-step ministry, 909 people in prison are impacted monthly, 50 incarcerated people who have been baptized through our prison ministry, 90 children from Heart of Africa have been provided backpacks and school supplies. Over 100 deaf and hard of hearing people participated in the fourth global Methodist Missions Conference of the Deaf. 22 people experienced a deaf interfaith pilgrimage to the Holy Land. 150 volunteer musicians are engaged in music ministry serving 7,000 hours and annually impacting literally thousands in worship and special concerts. 200 new members joined the church and engaged in ministry and outreach here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. I want to say thank you for being a difference maker through your generosity and through your gifts. May God bless us as we go forward into 2018. I love Stan's Texas tie. I think Reagan would kill me if I ever wore one of those. You, yeah, you went I out love one. it. I love it. Nope. All right, so when you walked in, you should have received one of these. It says commit to 2018, and if you open it up, it's this thing that may look a little daunting or a little confusing. I want to talk to us about this for a second. This is our commitment card uh, for our financial pledges for 2018. Um, the way churches work is that we set our budgets based upon what we think people are going to give uh, in the following year. And the way we know that best is through receiving pledges and understanding what people anticipate giving. So um, it's important to, to us, to your church, to your leadership, um, that if you're committed part of this worship service and a part of this church, that you consider filling one of these out. This is not one of those, this is not like a contract where like you put down a number and all of a sudden if something happens next year and something changes and the number needs to change, all of a sudden we're going, well, you put down the number. You know, that is, no, there's no guilt or shame that's a part of this. This is what you anticipate, what you feel like God's leading you to give in 2018. Now, 
Some of us have been here for a while. We know how it works at Lover's Lane. But those of us who are newer, who've come in the last year, or maybe even first-time visitors, I'd love to see you fill one of these out, friends. Um, <laughs> God, you want to blow me away. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so at Lover's Lane, we do this thing called heartburst giving. What that means is that really we turn to our congregation and we say, what are you passionate about? What do you want to see expand this next year? We, we ask our people who are streaming online, what are you passionate about? What do you want to see this church doing that you're participating in? And so what you're going to see at the top is this box that says total. Right underneath that, you're going to see a, a, an area for operating budget. Operating budget is just as attractive as it sounds. It covers things like the building. It covers things like staff. It covers things like our dollars that go to conference initiatives every single year. And so um, these are the things that, that sort of keep this place running. It's important that, that we keep this place running. But here's the good news. All these options here under Heartburst, and you'll see Crosswalk and Thrive there, about four options down. That's this worship service. This service is funded by all of y'all. Look around real quick. Look around real quick. Look at your neighbor and say, we got to do this. <laughs> I'm serious. Look at your neighbor and say, we got to do this. There we go. Y'all are so embarrassed right now. I don't even care. Um, I'm going to guilt and shame you on to fill in these out. That's the kind of pastor I am. No, yep. not really. Works every time. Works every People love it when pastors yep. guilt and shame about money. So here's the deal. You fill this out. You put down a number there. Here's how that works. When you give to Crosswalk and Thrive, 30% of those dollars go back into the operating budget. So you look at this, you go, well, I want to support the larger church, but I want to make sure that Thrive happens. Great. Give your dollars to Thrive. 30% goes back into the big bucket. So 30% goes back into the building, goes back into the staff, goes back into our conference initiatives. And so you don't have to feel guilty about giving to Thrive and Crosswalk because this community needs to support this service. We don't happen unless this community makes it happen. Clear as mud. Awesome. Great. So if you have any questions about this, reach out to me. I know it might be, for our, for our people who are newer in the last year, this might be a little bit confusing. Um, but I want to help you walk through it if you need that. On the other side... We just like to know how you plan on, on making your gift. And here's why we ask this. So as, as a nonprofit organization, um, you know, we got bills every single month. Uh, do y'all have bills every single month? Mortgage, lights. They usually yeah. come every month. Usually they yeah. come every month. Reagan takes care of that. Um, <laughs> we auto-draft everything. And, and so here's the deal. We've got bills every month. Now, nonprofits also, we, we work with donors who a lot of times will give all their gift in December. And like, that's cool. Like, that's great. That's great. We love the generosity. But if you're in a position to be able to do so, a great way you can help your church, and it might seem like sort of headspace, but it's true. A great way to help your church is to give your gift on a recurring basis to give your gift on a monthly basis, on a semi-monthly basis, and that way we can keep the coffers full while we're paying our monthly bills. We're not going, ah, oh, it's December, quick, raise all the money. You know, we don't want to do that. We want to celebrate baby Jesus in December, don't we? Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is like, get your bills out of my face. So think about baby Jesus and give once a month. That, that should have been our slogan. It should have. Think of the babies. Think of the babies. Um, so... If you want to fill this out today, great, but I would encourage you, take this home, think it over, pray it over, talk with your partner, um, get to a place where you have peace, make sure that your full tithe is on here, and then bring it back next week. Next week is going to be Commitment Sunday, where we're going to, your staff and leadership included, we're all going to turn in our commitment cards, and, and we'll be able to celebrate that together. Now, last bit of good news, then I'm going to let Reagan talk. She's like, you've been talking to you, daggum long. Here's some good news. I want to tell you about 
the, the success that we're seeing in Thrive. Obviously, we look around the room, we know that it's fuller today than it was two years ago, right? At 945, not at 9. Well, <laughs> that's another sermon for another Sunday. <laughs> um, so, not that Reagan has hot sports opinions no, about that no, or no. anything. Um, so, two years ago, we were standing up here in the same position. We were asking, uh, we were praying and hoping that this community could raise $80,000 uh, for, for the 2016 year. And, um, and we did, and that was exciting, that was fun. Th this year, we've already to date raised over $150,000 out of this community, and that's, that doesn't even include the monies going into other ministries and other parts of the church. So he here's what I wanna celebrate, is the fact that this church is growing, this community is growing, this worship service is growing, but our commitment is growing as well. And so y'all need to like give a round of applause to yourselves for a second. Because that's awesome. I think sometimes we get worried that newcomers will come and they won't get committed, but I've been so impressed with the way that this service has grown, not only in number, but in commitment as well. So let's keep that train a rolling. This next year out of Thrive, we're hoping that we can raise somewhere around $180,000. So that's gonna require all of us getting on board. That's gonna require all of us giving our full commitment. And Reagan's gonna talk to us a little bit about why that's important. Go Reagan. Sure. So uh, today, uh, eight years ago, I started this job at Lover's Lane. So I'm starting my ninth year here on staff at Lover's Lane. So I am old. Um, and, you know, I started in the youth department, and then I did young adult, and then, you know, I've done other things. And now uh, Scott and I have just had the pleasure and honor of, of pastoring Thrive for a few years now. And I look at this congregation and the way that you guys have... Um, just been committed and followed and trusted and been excited about church and, and inviting people in. Um, and so when I look at, and I've been thinking about that we're asking you for, for money, the thing is when Scott and I think about y'all and pray about you and, and your faces come to mind, you know, we don't see a dollar sign on your forehead. <laughs> um, I see really passionate people that are going to be the future uh, of the church because the way that you guys have been so committed and excited and opened your arms to people has been incredible. In this past year in our, in our world, it's been really hard. There's been some heavy things. There's been a lot of arguing and, and this divisive nature and a lot of questions and, um, and pain and suffering. And when I think about Lover's Lane and I think about the impact that it, it can have in the city and in our country and in the world, I keep coming back and thinking, you know, Lover's Lane needs to be around because as we live into our mission statement, loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ, um, people need a church like Lover's Lane that they can come to, that they can be loved and they can be accepted and that they can live out gifts, that they can live out passions that other churches just simply don't provide um, or in a more damaging way, turn away people. And so I want you guys to know that this church is needed. It is so needed by so many people that um, you sit next to in a restaurant, that you are behind in a line at Starbucks. Um, this church exists for so many people um, that aren't here yet. And so as you give, as you commit to being involved in this church in every way, not just through the zeros and the, all the money, but as you're committed to, to Bible study and, and greeting and small groups and volunteering with children's ministry and serving at Feed My Starving Children and all the different things we have, 
um, you are creating a place that's going to continue um, to grow and impact people and change people's lives. And so I want you to know that this church, um, that you here sitting in this room is gonna be the leaders and the people that really um, make this church what it is. And so I want you to know that the influence and impact and how important you are and how much you uh, minister to Scott and myself and our whole staff. We, we watch you, not in a weird way, um, but we observe you and we think, wow, like look what, look what they're doing, look what God's doing in their life and changing and you guys have just been incredible and we just love you, we just love you all. So. Scott, anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I don't think so. So like I said, take it home. You know, Reagan and I are committed to this worship service. Uh, We were members before we were pastors. We're committed to this church. Um, We hope that you will be too. Uh, Those of you who are streaming online, you can find a link on the website uh, that'll take you to our Meant for More webpage. All of y'all can go online. We'll share a link for an online form if you'd rather fill it out there instead of on paper. Uh, But other than that, Reagan, will um, will you pray for us for this offering and for just this next year? Sure. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for um, the way that um, Christ came and said, okay, this is, a, this is about, um, about giving um, what is a sacrifice. It's about really being all in. It's about uh, living into um, being good stewards, being faithful, and giving the glory back to you. We pray at this church um, that the people here would know that the most important thing is that you, um, that they are in a relationship with you. That's what matters. And as they're in a relationship with you, that they continue to be changed and transformed and challenged and that um, they would sacrifice, that they would give time, that they would, um, that they would give their sweat Um, that they would give their tears, that they would give everything to you. I'm so excited to see what happens in 2018. Um, And I pray that we'd be able to have a vision, follow your vision, even when we don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, how it's all going to come together, but that we would be faithful people. May we be faithful down to um, the penny that we may give. So we, um, we ask that you would just bless this offering um, and be with these people as they go home, as they think and pray about how they're going to commit, how they're going to offer themselves um, in your name. We love you so much, God. Thank you so much for all that you have given to us. In your name, amen.